This week on your new and improved version of Honey, You Should Watch This, we watched 1967's Bonnie and Clyde, or as I like to call it, the world's first Viagra commercial. back and someone me? is making bold claims that we are improved <laughs> oh we're improved check this out like it's like a deck of cards oh look at your yeah, notes yeah that's my research wow now that i Impressive. have literally nothing to do for two-thirds of my work day <laughs> i'm on top of it things are changing things are changing sure they are so happy new year everybody happy new year for those of you who have listened before, welcome back. And for those of you who are listening for the first time, welcome. This is Honey, You Should Watch This. And if you're watching on YouTube, I just changed the banner. Oh, good. We're not top five for <laughs> well, fighting anymore. Hey, we hey, we're new and improved because I caught that shit sooner than four <laughs> hours after I posted it. <laughs> oh, good God. So if you are new here, um, let me... Uh, Get you up to, to quote speed. Joe Dirt. I'm new here. I'm new here. <laughs> um, this is a podcast about movies, um, and it is a podcast in which a husband, that would be Greg, that's that lovely voice you heard at the top there. That bourbon was good. What, what bourbon? Right here in that glass. I, I think I was talking. No, you had paused. I had, huh? Yeah. Okay. Apparently the wanted, bourbon was good. I just wanted to interject that lovely voice. So this to. is our new and improved format, people. We just interrupt each other willy-nilly. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So <laughs> before I was so rudely interrupted. I wasn't rude about <laughs> it. Um, this is a podcast where a husband and a wife, the husband being Greg, the wife being myself, um, who sometimes have very differing tastes in movies, um, explore the other's taste in movies. So we tend to um, select movies for the others that they, uh, they they normally wouldn't watch. And then we come on here and we learn and talk about them and learn to appreciate them. Yeah. All that fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, me more so learning to appreciate yours than you just continually no, poo-pooing mine. I, no, there's a difference between like and appreciate. No. Uh, Yes, there is. No, appreciate means when it goes up in value, right? <laughs> <laughs> Marriage Still is got it. Depreciating. Ah. I'm doing. I'm doing the Urban Meyer double fingers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nailed it. Pew, 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 pew. All right. So, how you doing? I am okayest. You're okayest. Yeah, I'm all right. All I'm right. good. Cool. I'm good. Cool. So we we took some time off here just to try to rethink a little bit uh, about the podcast. So we're we're um, you know found ways to get ourselves a little bit more organized. 
Um, but we have decided that we are um, not going to try to release episodes every week. We are going to try to get you some stuff every other week. Um, that gives us time to kind of balance out our busy lives, but still um, watch movies and record and, and have fun here. And um, the other thing that um, I am hoping to do, and I'm hopefully going to get to work on it this weekend while I'm relaxing, is uh, I have set up a letterboxed account. And uh, so I'm going to get some of the movies that we are watching here with our commentary um, on there as much as I can get on there. So I got to set one of those up too. It's a good way for us to explore and uh, people to comment and, and uh, join the conversation. Get some interaction with you lovely people that seem yes. to want to listen to us for some reason. Because we're so nice. We're nice people. Oh, we're nice people. We're super nice. That's what we told the FBI anyway. <laughs> Leading us into our movie. Oh, of course you see, it how, wasn't, I, yeah. see how I did that you without even knowing did, I was going to do that? I know. Of course, it wasn't called the FBI back then. It was a Bureau wanted, of Investigation. I got I to gotta pitch two things real quick because you always ask me what have I been watching lately. Oh, yeah. Go okay. ahead. Oh, awesome. Go um, ahead. Probably goes without saying that you know you guys know I'm going to say this. First of all, The Book of Boba Fett okay. is incredible. Cool. It's it's so good. Uh, that stuff that you're listening to on the internet about people, oh, it's too slow. No, they they seriously are not happy at home and need something to complain about. <laughs> I I went into it knowing the spoilers, unfortunately, because I have a lot of free time at work and not the ability to watch stuff at work. But um, I was expecting slow points. Mm-hmm. And when it was over, I legitimately said to myself, I don't know what they're complaining about. The first two episodes are out as we're recording. The third episode comes out tomorrow. If you're a Star Wars fan and you haven't watched it, if you like the old school Star Wars or if you like The Mandalorian, you need to watch it. It's it's very, very good. The second thing that I watched, and I will be, excuse me, watching a lot more stuff this year, I watched Hawkeye. Okay. And it is one of the best things that Marvel has done. Really? It is. Why is that? So it's just, it's what you want. Okay. It's not slow. It's funny. Um it's so Hawkeye has found his medium. Marginally, it's marginally realistic. I mean, it's not over the top. It's it's superhero-y, but it's with normal people. Uh, the the lead The lead in it is obviously Jeremy Renner plays Hawkeye, but Haley Steinfeld plays Kate Bishop, who we know from the first time we saw her as the little girl in True Grit, the remake that the Coen Brothers did of True Grit. Okay, um, she is fantastic. I. I thought I was watching a comedy at points. This and then the action. It's just it's. WandaVision was was good. I mean, I watched it. I'm not going to watch it again. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I watched. I liked it, but it did not have enough Winter Soldier. I would watch it again if I had to. I just finished Hawkeye today. I will watch it with you again tomorrow. That's how good it was. Really, it was really good. It's six episodes. It's like five hours worth of watching because. The only episode more than 40 minutes is the final episode, which is an hour. Uh, it's it's really, really good. Really good, if you if you like it. I will be watching some more stuff as we go uh, through, and I'll throw that out. But uh, it's the newer stuff. If you, if you like Marvel, mm-hmm. watch it. Yeah, I have been, um, well, I've been, I was binge watching over the holidays, so I got my third season of Succession in third or fourth? Third. 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 It's yeah. the third. Third knives, knives were turned. Let, let's just say, it, if they yeah, have been like, plunged before, they are they are turned now. Like eight minutes into the first episode, knives were turned. Oh, right but the ending, my friend. Oh yeah, 
Really good. Look, all I know is that Kieran Culkin is going to wet the bed if he drinks if he drinks too much Coke <laughs> yeah. when him and Kevin sleep in the in the attic together. So, <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a a really weird contrast to see you watching Home Alone and then watching Succession. Just how, how weird is it that two of the stars from that show that is this drama, mm-hmm. insider trading, backstabbing go fuck yourself type show two of the stars are from home alone and ferris bueller's day off oh yeah adam ruck (laughs) (laughs) alan ruck sorry oh this show's gonna be hysterical what the hell am i watching he is alan ruck is is pretty much a just Uh, of course somebody there that's for the laughs so yeah he's he's good in that he's very good in that but uh what else i watched uh the last season of pen 13 Ended it. It's really good. It's good for you. It's, it's good. It's not me. It is it's not my. Speech. Yeah, I mean, if you understand adolescence of a female, then then you'll you'll get it. Well, but I'm gonna go that I don't understand yeah. adolescence of a female. So yeah, there it so, is. So that's probably why you went. Anyway. Hey, I watched like five episodes with you. I I just I couldn't get into it. Yeah, it's a little different. A little are you, different. Are you a little sure? Weird. A little weird. Why? Oh. Yeah, meanwhile, these idiots are over here on the floor fighting. So, all right. Yeah, cool. we have yeah, cat they, wrestling yeah, going they did, on. They did not take any time off, guys, just they so you know. They did not take any time off. They've been fucking up the podcast room big time. So, all right. Okay. So, let's get into the movie um, Bonnie and Clyde, released August 12th, 1967, by Warner Brothers. And let me give you a little summary. During the Great Depression, Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker of Texas meet when Clyde tries to steal Bonnie's mother's car. Bonnie, who is bored by her job as a waitress, is intrigued by Clyde and decides to take up with him and become his partner in crime. They pull off some holdups. And while exciting, not very successful nor lucrative. But the uh, dues crime spree shifts into high gear when they hook up with a dim-witted gas station attendant called C.W. Moss. Uh, But they end up killing a bank owner um, in an ensuing getaway, which puts them on the run. Clyde's brother, Buck, and his wife, Blanche, oh, geez, that wasn't good, um, a preacher's daughter also joined them, but the tensions ratchet up between the couple and other members of the gang while the cops keep closing in more bloodshed ensues with no going back the couple continue running knowing it isn't a matter of whether or not they're going to meet their early grave but when bravo all right so uh it stars warren Beatty as clyde barrow faye dunaway as bonnie parker michael j pollard as cw moss uh, Gene Hackman as Buck Barrow, Estelle Parsons as Blanche, Denver Pyle as Frank Hammer, Dub Taylor as Ivan Moss, and Evans Evans as Velma Davis, and our film debut by our cute little baby Gene Wilder. I will go ahead and scratch as that Eugene off my sheet Grizzard. right there. The film is directed by Arthur Penn. All right. Okay. So that's the outlay. That's the movie. Why did you have me watch this? <laughs> well, it had been a while since we'd done. Oh, Greg, I hate you. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, it had been a while since we'd done like a classic movie, right? Which is kind of how we got into this. Because you would watch the classic movies with me, but then I wouldn't really watch the 
expendables and whatnot with you. So we decided that maybe it was time that we did something about it. Um, this movie is really a milestone in American cinema too, right? Because it's, it's changing the way that the film landscape is going to look. It's borrowing from, you know, the French new wave. Um, but this is, we're really seeing more counterculture heroes. Um, it's unprecedentedly violent for its time. It's the first use of the squib. It's the first use of multiple squibs. Multiple squibs. Okay, you're right. Multiple squibs. A lot like, of squibs. Yeah, a lot, a lot <laughs> of squibs. Um, and, yes. and not to cut you off, but it's pronounced French. France, not French. And Peru. <laughs> and you know, it's got a pushing back on that haze code because the haze code is kind of coming out of vogue. Um, not Vogue, but it's, it's, you know, it's not as strong as it used to be. So there's violence, there's sexuality, there's definitely, you know, um, moral codes kind of flipping them. The lawman being the bad guy versus the criminals being the good guys. For, for those that are listening that may not know, explain the Hayes Code. All right. So, um, well, that's a good question that I am hopefully prepared to answer you don't, you don't have the to Hayes code was was kind of the moral code that got um imposed or in in hollywood um in which you know it you you don't see a whole lot of nudity you know you didn't see a man and woman in bed you didn't see a man and woman in bed adultery you didn't, was bad um if you if you murdered someone or you were an adulterer you know you would get your comeuppance mm -hmm. Um, you know, there was definitely morals implied in, uh, you know, uh, inserted into the movies, right? So if you were bad or you gave any, like a lot of what we were talking about gay coding in some of the, some of our previous issues, um, is that basically, you know, if someone was coded to be gay, you know, they would also... Right. meet a, a very bad end you know and so it was definitely you know pushing the values christian values into into the movies so violence was always implied as well yeah violence For, was implied you didn't really see it psycho right? being a perfect example yeah you knew you knew that he was stabbing her with a knife right but you saw chocolate syrup in the tub instead of um you know actual blood happening and stuff going down the drain yeah. So um, that's the, just so those you know, that you know what the Hayes Code is. There, lots. Of, I I didn't really know yeah. what it was until we started doing this. So I'm not trying yeah. to I'm not trying to be uppity to anybody. Just so that you know what we're talking right. about. So I I think that if you watched this movie today, um, but didn't, but you wouldn't you wouldn't think it was anything special because it, it really. But it does. It did kind of inform the form of the content that we watched today. Well, it it. Funny how the art Im imitates life type thing. This came mm -hmm. at a time in our country's history and a period in our country where a lot of people were starting to uprise mm -hmm. and show rebellion and um, not rebellion. Uh, the, the flower, the, the, the flower child movement was coming. Uh, people were beginning to get angry about what was mm -hmm. going on in Vietnam uh, the government was being made out in more situations than not to be the bad guy. The civil yeah, rights era, the civil the rights era, up. stuff like yeah. this. So this and violence was not commonplace in movies. People would no. die, but um, 
so that's what the Hayes Codes was, and that, that's why, uh, and we're, we'll get into it, why so many things about this movie received so much pushback from, mm. from the studio and from the press and from the public. Okay, so when you watch this movie, before we, uh, what I said we were going to watch this movie, because I didn't, usually we announce at the end of our episodes what we're going to watch next, but we took our little hiatus, so we had to kind of pick um, what we we're going to do. I saw this was available on HBO Max. That's where we watched it. Um, so when I said we were going to watch Bonnie and Clyde, what what was your initial thought? Like, what did you think this movie was going to be like? I thought it was going to be uh, a movie about interpretive dance in Spain in the late 1700s. I mean, it's Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> I mean, what, what, but what did you <laughs> expect? I expected Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. I expected shoot 'em up, bang bang, um, bank robbers, high speed chases. I, that's that's what I expected. I mean, it's yeah. it's not that it's a dumb question, but if you watch Bonnie and Clyde expecting anything other than what you get, we need to have a talk. <laughs> then you're watching the Highwayman um, or Highwaymen. <laughs> yeah, except that the Highwayman, and we'll get into that, was yeah. a more realistic portrayal of this situation oh, much, than this movie much, was. Yeah. But it was, certainly was not half as entertaining as this movie. Oh, no, 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 no. This movie's... We'll get into it. It's a hot mess, but we... no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, it, I, You know, I expected... I will tell you this. I did not know that either Warren Beatty or Faye Dunaway were in this movie. Really? I did not know okay. that because I did not care. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just... You know, I mean, it's a movie that, it's a shame that movies like this get overlooked because someone like me will not go into HBO Max looking for an action movie and pick Bonnie and Clyde over The Expendables, right? It's just, it's just a product of when I was brought up. I mean, I was, I was, my formative, your formative years were the 80s. Literally the greatest decade era of action movies ever, even though they were ridiculous, but they were still great, over-the-top, fun, shit-blowing-up, people-punching-people-in-the-face. This movie was the same thing with the technology that they had back then, but not as not as grandiose, because mm-hmm. the technology just wasn't there. It's like watching a horror movie today and watching a 1950s horror movie with Vincent Price. The 1950s Vincent Price movie is still great and spooky, but it pales in comparison to what they can do now. So right. um, it's 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 uh, what it did, it does very well. It, it does very well. I have problems with it, but my problems stem to things outside of the movie, not the movie itself. So okay. we will get to that. All right. You know, I first watched this film um, back in the 90s when they did that whole AFI top 100 films, right? And they made a whole thing about it where you could watch, you know, the you know what was on the list and they'd play clips and they'd have commentary. So um, at the time, my first husband, Keith and I decided that we were going to try to watch as many as we could. So Bonnie and Clyde was on this. Um, so it was... I think it's number yeah. 46. I don't know what number it is because they keep redoing the list. Um, but it's so funny because I I watch it now and I see some of the other movies that were on this list, you know, that, that were influenced by this. But the thing that struck... 42. 42. Um, the thing that struck me this time around is... Yeah. 
the thing that keeps kind of Bonnie and Clyde going and people rooting for them is they really pandered. They, you know, they found the, um, in real life, in the real life Bonnie and Clyde, when they raided the place in Joplin, Missouri, they found the film and that where they'd taken the pictures with her and the gun and the cigar and all that. Um, and they developed the, the pictures and they published them. So they kind of became media darlings because, you know, here's this woman, you know, in this crime gang and it, it kind of captured the imagination. But they were kind of viral stars before this viral, you know, today you couldn't, like back when I watched this, you know, there were still people who were famous for being famous and reality TV was really starting to take off. But you couldn't imagine what... the the meme, memification of people and TikTok videos and YouTube videos and, and all that. Um, this, when you watch it today, it just kind of, it puts a whole new like shade on, on how you can look at this film and how what really kept them going was the fact that they were famous and they were really taking it in because they had nothing else in their lives. Uh, I see where you're coming from. I think the fact that kept them going was that they had to. I don't, well, I, yeah, I don't know yeah. that they lived on the. I think that it was more about the thrill. I, but I see what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, they got the thrill of like because they were just these small town nobodies, and and now they were famous. And this is, but it, it just kind of, and it's actually the Washington Post did a uh, an article too that said Bonnie and Clyde were the Depression era Kardashians, right? <laughs> yeah, but that's something. Uh, okay, yes, because they were in the newspapers. Mm. Let's also put ourselves in the shoes of of that era this was the 30s -hmm. it was a depression and one of the things that it's hard to gather from this um movie is we watch this movie now Mm -hmm. and we see a movie that was made in the late 60s because we understand the technology of the film and, and 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 that and there are a handful of things that you see that do not relate to the 30s but in the 30s remember even during world war ii you had to go to the movie theater to see a clip about how the war was progressing. Right. So what people were hearing about Bonnie and Clyde right. was typically two weeks after it had happened. You know, they, they, they commit a robbery and the people in California are like, oh, look, Bonnie and Clyde, they did it again. And, it's, and you know, they, they, it happened in Missouri. They're already back to, you know, Louisiana. It was, it was so stunted. And the telephone game works 100% every time in that situation. Oh, yeah. Passing the information on. So that's hard for us to, that's hard for us to gather. They even like bring it up in, in the whole script, you know, when they, you know, after um, Buck dies, like they're saying that, oh, they're pulling off this heist here and this heist here. And, you know, and he said, we didn't do these things. They just want somebody to pin it on. Right. And so it's, it's very, and then people, their flashes with them, like that, the one successful bank heist that you see when they're getting chased across the Oklahoma border and when it's done, but as they're going and they're doing, and you've got this great, um, Flatten Scruggs, um, hillbilly banjo music playing, you it's know, called bluegrass. Thank you. <laughs> it the actual tune was called Foggy Mountain Breakdown. 
Um, but the ba- you know got the banjos going on, and they're as they're you're you're intercutting between Bonnie and Clyde's car and the police and stuff like that. You're also going back to the bank, and like people are like, oh, I met them, and here's the bullet hole, and oh, he was you know the the farmer that they let have his money because it was his money and not the bank's. Oh, those are they were really nice, you know. But everybody wanted to get in on the action. Well, so. every, yeah, every, it was it was the depression. You know, everybody needed. But every even get, when yeah. it's not the depression, people want to be. You oh know, no, I I I, I agree. I, no I get one that. got time for that. I, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. But I I mean, did you? What was your? Did you like the movie overall? I don't know. I'll answer that when you ask me. Should I watch it again? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I, I mean, how can you not? Right. It's first of all, I was. Stunned by the number of people in this movie. Nine names, but people, the stars. Not, yeah, yeah, no, no, just the sheer volume of people. There were like hundreds of thousands of people in this. No, the people that I knew, and every time, and that's <laughs> something that I always kind find kind of funny when you when you pick a classic, um, and I'm like, oh, where do I know her? And you're like, oh yeah, that was Roseanne's mom. I'm like, son of son of a bitch. That's right. Um, Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway, um, C.J. Pollard. Who we know from lots of stuff. Who uh, I recognize him mainly from Scrooged. Yep. And from Tango and Cash. Okay. Have you seen Tango and Cash? I have not. <laughs> have I? Fantastic. Oh shit! Okay. Put it on the list. <laughs> um, you know, um, it had uh, Gene Hackman, who I did yeah. not know was in it. It had Estelle Parsons. Is that her name? Estelle Parsons. Okay. It had. Um, Gene. Yeah, Gene Hackman. It, it, uh, had, it had Gene Wilder. We had uh, Jesse. Uncle Jesse. It had the guy who plays Uncle Jesse. So it that's had, Dub, um, uh, Denver Pyle. Denver Pyle. It had the gentleman that I'm like, God, where do I know him from? He had played C.J. Pollard's, he played C.W. Mosley's father in the movie. Okay, he, uh, Dub Taylor. Dub Taylor. He's been in a ton of stuff, but where I recognize him from is in Back to the Future 3. He's one of the guys in the in the, in the the saloon. Mm-hmm. So I'm just looking at the people that are in this. I'm like, holy cow. Just, just, just one after another. Uh, that was that was fairly impressive to me. I mean, Gene Wilder's uh, screen debut. I mean, what more do you want out of a movie? Oh, he is so good. He is uh, so he, good. Legend. I love the ride this movie takes you on. It doesn't. It isn't always in sequence the way you would like it to be. There's sometimes it cuts to things that you're like, "What the hell just happened?" But it never makes you feel settled. Right, because just when you think you know where this movie is going, um, it it does something else, like life on the run. Right, and, and well, it's as aimless as the gang, right? Because there's no real purpose to what they're doing other than just getting by and 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 trying to stay alive. But also, what I like about this is like the the moments that are kind of really punched by any kind of soundtrack. Are, are mostly like the getaway scenes which have this element of just terrible humor to them, right? Like guys getting shot in the face and, and things like that. But also, you know, and that one scene maybe where there's that family reunion, but the quiet moments are when the things that you dread most might potentially happen and eventually do. And 
that's really what's cool because before you know it, instead you know as far like even the death scene because i mean no spoilers here we all know that bonnie glide died what in a hail of gunfire oh <laughs> how does whitney feel about this <laughs> um that scene is conspicuously there is no soundtrack other than the bullets Right to to show you just how horrible that death is. Right, whereas in today's cinema it would be kind of you know accompanied by this very swelling musical interlude. You know that just screams drama. Well, the sound we can talk about that for a second. One of the things I think that the humor interspersed in with the action scenes, I couldn't find this anywhere. But here here's my. Uh, I'm. I suck with words. Here, here's my theory, my hypothesis on that. Okay. I think that they had to do that to assure that film audiences would not be absolutely horrified by the utter violence that was going on. Mm-hmm. You got five people that are shooting at cops, and you got cops falling all over the place. Cars are blowing up. If you don't have an element of <laughs> to to kind of lighten that mood, I think that this film might have received a significantly different um, vibe. It might have thrown out a, a different vibe at that time because they were already on the cutting edge. You, you know, it's right. kinda, you can't just you can't just all at once. Um, the sound mixing. So Warren Beatty was a producer and was originally slated to direct this until he decided he wanted to star in it. So he wanted this movie to be a lot like Shane. Hmm. And in Shane, the gunshots were mm-hmm. amplified super high because that was the crux of Shane. Yeah, I heard him talk about this. So yeah. he said, that's how I want it mixed. And they're like, you can't do that. And he's like, that's, that's how we got to do it. That's what I want. I want the gunshots overpowering everything else. Come to find out that the sound people were actually sitting in the booth and lowering the volume at the gunshots scenes because oh, really? they were so loud. And he was at one of the premieres and he went upstairs to ask the guy what you're doing. He says, it's too loud. He says, this is the worst mixed movie since Shane. <laughs> but he wanted that emphasis. He wanted that in your face. Right. It's, holy to, shit, you got to pay attention right now. To get that sound too, he, he, uh, he, he found out how they did it with Shane. And basically what it is, is they're firing into trash cans. Nice. So it amplifies. It was in, uh, it was in London that he was at the screening at, and he saw that he went to projection roof where the, told the projectionist, the projectionist told him that he had helped the film by adjusting the gunfire sound. <laughs> so uh, it's, there was some sheer brilliance in the way this film was made, sheer brilliance in the way this film was acted, sheer brilliance in the way that this film was um produced Mm -hmm. honestly i think they made a lot of mistakes in this movie but that's personal again we're gonna get to that are you okay okay i'm no you've got me intrigued what i'm gonna do is i didn't know the whole story of binding clyde Mm -hmm. so having watched this i researched it i do not like the liberties they took with what bonnie and clyde did because the movie is Mm -hmm. very very different from what oh, Clyde yeah, did. they they basically said I th- I can't remember I think it was like some NPR um, interview that this is probably about five percent factual. Well, a lot of it's factual, 
but Bonnie and Clyde didn't do it. And that's the problem. Well, a lot of it too. I mean, a lot, there's a lot of liberties that were taken. There were some things where they, um, like they actually did abduct, um, a, uh, a mortician and, and his, his girlfriend. girlfriend. They, they abducted yeah. people all the time. Yeah. But they gave money at least almost, to get back. <laughs> almost, almost never heard them. Right. Um, they didn't rob banks. No, they didn't. They robbed like a bank. Yeah. They robbed gas stations and corner stores, which leads me, makes me ask, why was the public so in love with them? Because in the movie, mm-hmm. they draw the parallel about how the, the mean old man, the government, was taking everybody's property from him, which is essentially the second scene in the movie when they're at that house. Right. And they let the, the man who used to own it shoot the sign. They're fighting the man. But you're not fighting the man if you're stealing from the people. If you if you rob if you rob Piggly Wiggly, you're not stealing from the government. You're stealing from Piggly Wiggly and the people that work there. So um the scene in the movie where uh he says, Is that your money? Or the bank's money. Yeah. That was not Bonnie and Clyde. That was um uh uh Babyface Oh, Babyface Malone or whatever his name is. Yeah, yeah baby, I can I can I'll, I can find it for you. Uh when he runs into um here it is, right here. Um, in real life, it was Bank Bar, Pretty Boy Floyd. Pretty Boy Floyd, there you go. So, yeah, yeah I mean, they, they did take a lot of liberties with it, and they were really kind of just trying to create this, this action movie. I think they also were, you know, trying to create these counterculture heroes, right? And so that's that's probably too you know too what what they were doing but yeah i mean there were a lot of um like blanche uh can't think of her, the name now clyde Bar- Bar- parker barrow barrow it was blanche Jeez. barrow yeah bonnie parker blanche, Bar- blanche barrow um was not happy with the way she was portrayed in this um the estate of who was the texas ranger Texas Ranger, the uh, Frank Hammer. Yeah. Um, he he wasn't happy either because they. I mean, he never met Bonnie and Clyde. Never met him until he yeah. until he killed him. Until he killed him. Never yeah. met him. Um. So <laughs> how that, you doing? Yeah, that leaves me. Oh, there wasn't even. A how I know that <laughs> it was just a rat a tat 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 tat. See you in hell. Yeah, um, it's it's my problem with that with Hollywood is. Why, when you have a story like this, this is a real story. Mm-hmm. It, it, it real happened. You can dig up the facts. You <coughs> can make me. it. You can make it just as violent as you want to. At that point, you can still garner the sympathy because of what they were doing and what they were going through. Why would you change it so much when you have a story right there? These guys are, they are, a, they're American folklore. Mm-hmm. As as bad as they were, they why really- would you do that? They really weren't looking to make a history film, right? But but they made a history film. They just used five or six different people. Yeah, but I mean that's just they they kind of took the poetic license with it. Well, okay. I mean, what they were trying to do was really make. <coughs> Excuse me! Oh mm-hmm. my goodness, that must have sounded great. Um, Talking you, about it helps him forget. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to look for what I was talking about as far as you know this whole French New Wave film. So okay, yeah. so, what? So why would you? Why would you? So okay, so let's talk about that then. 
why would you portray Blanche the way they portrayed her? They portrayed Blanche the way they portrayed her to make Faye Dunaway's character, make Bonnie's character much more sexy and cool in comparison. Um, that's okay. I mean, you that's basically it. Like they, they also. I mean, this is really more a story about you know seduction, right? Because that's the whole the whole first five to to ten minutes of the movie is them trying to seduce each other in way you know even though he's impotent but i don't think he was trying to seduce her he was trying to impress her he was trying Uh, to be like yeah there's a big difference there but still i mean that there was this attraction and there was this you know symbiosis that's that's kind of what i like about this movie is the way that they First of all, they had great chemistry. I don't know if they ever got, got along on set or anything like that. You don't hear about that from that movie, whether or not they, they he, got along. He was one of the few women that he did not um, bed mm. while he was doing a movie. Faye? Yeah. Um, but they had good chemistry. But I think the thing that kind of struck me most this time around, too, is this... I don't know. They seemed... These characters, the way that they're directed and the way they were written, seem to have this just connection with each other, right? Like, let's talk about the scene with with Gene Wilder. Okay, they they steal his car. He goes after them in his girlfriend's car to try to get them back. Um, they decide that they're not going to pursue anymore. They turn around, so the Barrel Gang turns around and basically cuts them off picks them up, gets them in the car, and they're just hanging out and having a good time. When it's revealed that this guy is an undertaker, Bonnie shuts down and basically says to Clyde, get him out of here. He doesn't question. He doesn't, you know what I mean? He just looks at her and he knows, you know what I mean? It's like he knows her, even though they really don't know each other that well. Right from you don't really see them, but he can read her. He knows her. He he kind of understands her, and he doesn't like. There's certain parts of the film where you could see this in modern day blow up into some huge fight, right? But he just seems to get her and goes, "Okay, right." <laughs> and I'm 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 okay with that, and I'm yeah. sure that's what happened. So the the real story of how they met is. They had a mutual friend yep. who had broken her arm. Yep. He went to see her after getting out of prison. Mm-hmm. Um, Bonnie was there making something in the in the in the kitchen. He went in the hot kitchen. Hot cocoa. Hot cocoa. Saw her and basically said it was love at first sight. Yep. There's nothing wrong with that story. Right. That you can make that story. I, we didn't need the whole. I mean, you could see each other. You could set it up the way they did, but it wasn't like he didn't need to be playing hard to get. They were in love, and I mm-hmm. think in the movie. He was in love with her, but it was almost like they were trying to follow the Hayes Code, but they didn't. You know, in that situation, because they pressed the limits a couple of times with the oh yeah with the intimation the, of the oral the, sex, the and, gun, and the yeah stroke and, and stroke stuff like sure, that. her stroking his gun. But I mean, he says yeah. to her at the end, "I love you," and he yeah. wasn't he wasn't looking to fall in love. He I think he was just looking for somebody to hang out with and, and commit some crimes. And she was she was a damn action junkie, uh, but. No, she was bored. Yeah, and and I'm I'm okay with that whole and and it was it was a great chemistry and I think that they were like that in real life, um, but 
I don't necessarily agree with how they had to throw all of the extra stuff into it. Why couldn't they have just been together? Why did we have to make him impotent? He wasn't impotent. I think that that was just, again, like, because obviously the, the thing that made him not impotent in the movie is the fact that she wrote that poem, it got published, and now he's, for all intents and purposes, immortalized, right? And he's known. And for some reason, that's what does it for him. I, I think it's just mostly, you know, a, a metaphor. I mean, they were really trying to push the boundaries of, of, you know, what they can show on screen as far as, you know, intimating sex and, and all that. But I mean, I don't know. I just don't ask those questions with this movie, you know, as far as it being true to the real Bonnie and Clyde or not, because... I think the story it tells is an entertaining one. It definitely is. And it definitely makes for interesting research after the fact. <laughs> no, I, I agree. You know, because like like I said, like I watched um, the highway, is the highway men or the highway men? I think it's the highway men. The highway men with Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. Yes. And while it's a good film, it definitely is nowhere near. Well, it's, it's you know, it's, it's entertaining. It's a, it's, it's, a crime, it's a crime drama. It's a it is. It's crime, a crime. It's a procedural. But it's a little. It's it's slow. It's 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 well, not. You know, the whole process was slow. Yeah. Right. So it's it's not this film. This film is something completely different. So I'm I'm cool with it not being a hundred percent accurate. Or well, I don't. I don't need it to be a hundred percent accurate, but I think I think that accurate. there's no real need for them to change a lot of the stuff they did. Uh, I'm. I can't find it. The they originally the screenwriters originally wrote Clyde as homosexual. Yes, and C. W. Moss was supposed to take part in some of that. Yes, um, but um, the director Penn mm-hmm. told them that you don't want to do that. And they fought him until he told them, you don't want to do that because if you do, in this era, a lot of people will think they're just watching a freak. And they're going to have a hard time relating because you've already got a guy who's a bank robber, who's Mm -hmm. kidnapping, who's not married, who's doing all this stuff. And now you're going to make him homosexual. Mm -hmm. You turn a lot of people against him. They agreed at that point when he explained it that way. Um, I think, you know, some of... Here it is. Writers Robert Benton and David Newman wrote Clyburn was bisexual, bisexual, even though the real Clyburn wasn't, a point which they felt was non-negotiable. Beatty had no objections, but Penn did. He felt that to portray Clyde as gay on top of all the other social dysfunctions featured in the film would just make the audience think they were watching a bunch of freaks. And after he said that, Benton and Newman agreed. Go ahead. I'm sorry to make a question. You know, I think to go back to what you were saying about why they change it and, and all that stuff, I think what they were trying to do is they're making a film about young people, right? These Bonnie and Clyde as as adult looking as they are in this film, they are really acted perfectly as younger adults who don't know what the fuck they're doing, right? Um, and I think they were really trying to speak to younger Americans, right? So I think, like, obviously taking C.W. Moss, who was never a real person, but kind of this amalgam of two other barrel member gangs five 
Well, go ahead. Sorry. No, they. It it says here that C. W. Moss represents W. G. Jones and Henry Mathaven, right? So that's that's basically they took those two characters and put him into that. So, um, to cut down the members of the gang off uh, uh, makes it much more simplistic. That I understand. Right, and manageable. You, you don't have to have multiple cars. Exactly. And, uh, uh, exactly. So, but I think the other thing too is they wanted to kind of get them to be like not a modern day because that's that's not the the word that's not the correct word, but. For all intents and purposes, like a Robin Hood, right? Right. Like to be a hero for the downtrodden. So that's another reason why they kind of changed it. The one thing in real life that turned the public against Bonnie and Clyde a lot is because they really, the number of police they ended up killing in real life was, it was pretty tall, toll, right? More than what they showed in this movie. So I think, you know, it's economy and storytelling, but it's also let's capture the imaginations of, of the younger generation who's going to come and see this film because that's what they were really trying to, to create, these kind of yeah, heroes was, to speak to the counterculture. There was one specific instance, actually, that turned the public against the two of them, uh, against them, and that was uh, they were... Here, here we go. Um when the gang is being pursued by Eugene and Thelma for stealing their car, Clyde, Clyde suggests kidnapping them by saying, let's take them. Mm-hmm. There's actually an important significance to the phrase Clyde uses in real life. Whenever Bonnie and Clyde get the drop on a lawman or anyone else, they would always say, let's take them instead of killing them. They would kidnap a person, drive hundreds of miles away, then release them unharmed. However, this phrase proved to be fatal on one occasion on April 1st, 1934, which was Easter Sunday. Bonnie, Clyde and, Glenn, Bonnie and, Clyde and gang member Henry Methvin who CM Bobby Moss is partly based on, were resting in their car on a country road in Texas when they were approached by two high- motorcycle highway patrolmen. The officers apparently thought they were checking on stranded motorists and approached casually. Methvin told Clyde, who was napping, it's the law, what do we do? Clyde, realizing officers were not a threat, said, let's take them. Methvin, Methvin misunderstood Clyde and started shooting, uh, forcing Clyde to join him. Both officers were killed, and this is seen as the final nail in the coffin as the public totally turned against him for this needless killing. Mm-hmm. They never killed, I don't think they killed any civilians. I could not find an instance where they killed a civilian. I don't know if they did or not. I mean, I I, I read the FBI page on them, so I can't, I can't, I can't recall. But the other thing, too, is, you know, some of the real stuff that happened to Bonnie and Clyde is not all that sexy. Like they had a car accident, which basically Fucked took her up. most of her leg. You you know you're not going to see Faye Dunaway walking around without a nice pair of gams on her. You know, yeah, and I think the last year that they were alive, he basically had to carry her mm-hmm. places because um, they were driving at night mm-hmm. and they came up on a bridge that was out and he couldn't stop and ran off into the culvert and the car smashed her leg and caught on fire. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, it burned her fairly, but very badly, and that's what yeah. that's what got them caught. Is it's very the whole situation in the movie in which Buck loses his life. That whole lead up um, was pretty much 
fairly accurate. Nine, about 90%. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but what got them caught is they knew that her that was something wrong with her leg. And they were saying, they were telling, you know, pharmacies and, and whatnot, if you see any strangers in your town coming looking for these specific types of supplies, let us know. So nice. that's kind of what tipped them off. Nice. It wasn't so much that they were, you know... I, I'm not. I don't think that they executed anything wrong in the movie. I, I think they did a, a really good job, and I think this was my nominated for best picture, and it it, sh- was. it should have been. I, I don't. I guess when I see something like this, I don't understand why they just didn't do the real thing. But I mean, it is it is what it is. Because I mean, you came up with a fake way that they got caught. You came up with you you created these personas of people that really weren't the way they were. Certain times I get it, but I mean it's. It's it's minuscule. It doesn't take away from my enjoyment of the movie. I was just surprised once I started digging into it how actually different it was. Yeah, it, it was. And I think part of that too, again, um, you've got to think back to that time, right, where people were seeing authority, you know, and this is this is a big part of French New Wave. It's it's very iconoclastic, right? They're, they're going to question and tear down, um, you know, icons and structures um, that, are, that have kind of existed, right? So it, it, it really speaks to counterculture where, you know, they want to take down the man. And this ending in which they're kind of hoodwinked by C.W. Moss's dad and Frank Hammer um, feeds into that. You know why they did that, right? You know why the law killed them the way they killed them. Because they knew that that if they f- their presence was known, they'd get killed first. Clyde was a hell of a shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, was extremely proficient with the Browning and the Tom and the Thompson submachine gun, and as evidenced by the shootouts and getaways in the movie. That had happened several times, and they did not feel like they could give him the opportunity to know they were there, which is today would never fly. But <laughs> it's just it's very it's very I want to say brutal. Brutal is 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 the word. I guess it's very savage. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a little bit of both. Do you want yeah. to hear the recount of the final day of Bonnie and Clyde? Um, I think I'm pretty well versed in that, but if you want to go, go ahead. Are you? Are you? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll get there in just a minute. I got I got a whole bunch of pages here. All right. So, although Frank Hamer went down in history as a man who killed Bonnie and Clyde, the actual final ambush uh, unfolded quite differently. Hamer's plan was to flag down and offer the couple a chance to surrender peacefully. But an inexperienced posse member, Deputy Prentice Oakley, did not wait for Hamer's signal and fired first, killing Clyde instantly behind the wheel. Within two to three seconds, the four other squad members opened fire and riddled the Ford, Clyde's corpse, and a screaming screaming Bonnie Parker with over 150 shots and a deafening volley that lasted 16 seconds. With the car still rolling slowly forward past the lawman's hiding place, Hamer hustled up from behind, repeatedly firing through the rear window at Bonnie. When the car had come to a complete stop, he strode over to the passenger side and emptied his Colt automatic rifle into Bonnie's lifeless body. Jesus. Which of Hamer's five deputies delivered the actual shot to Bonnie, kill shot to Bonnie will never be known. 
um, they weren't playing around. They were hired by dozens and dozens of people who offered a bounty. And basically, the person that started it was, uh, there was a prison break, I guess, that Bonnie and Clyde assisted with at some point. So the six lawmen that included uh, Frank Hamer, who staged the May 23rd ambush that gunned down Bonnie and Clyde, each got a check for $200.34. Although various county, state, and business organizations had pledged reward money totaling in the tens of thousands, which was a lot of money in 1932-34, those promises were eventually, they reneged on them. So they basically hunted them down for nothing, which is kind of crazy. Really crazy. All right, so let's get back to talking about the film. All right. Sorry to have diverted. No, that's fine. I mean, it's interesting stuff. It's all interesting stuff. But uh, I think it's time to talk about the movie. So of this, what did you find the most entertaining? I mean, obviously, the, the performances are amazing. Uh, I don't have anything that brutally stood out. I mean, it was it was a really good movie. It, everything was fine. It was good. Nothing jumped out at me. The special effects, the CGI was was fantastic. The CGI. <laughs> um. I. I there was a couple different parts that I guess I just um, they kind of resonated. I thought that was going to be more of the top three moments. Oh, okay. Um, I don't want to say the dialogue because the dialogue was corny to me. Even though when the, everybody delivered it, it was good. Um, I felt I felt that Gene Hackman did a good job, but I also felt that Gene Hackman was a little bit over the top. Yeah, I mean, he was... <laughs> there's, that, there's that scene where they he first shows up, right? Yeah, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to grab Gene and say, shut the fuck up and just tell your kids to play basketball. <laughs> but there's like the scene where he goes in and he starts talking to, to Clyde. And he's like, ooh, and they're like, woo, gonna have ourselves a time, woo, and there's like five seconds of silence, and he's like, so what are we gonna do? You know, I was like, that was really funny, kind of an odd thing, there was but a, it's... There was a lot of levity in it, there was some good jokes. But it was, it's just, it was just like this awkwardness, but it, it's, it's, it was just kind of... You know, you don't expect it. Like, it was just this really odd thing, you know. Odd, yeah. Odd awkwardness. I agree. I don't know if I really like the scene, and I think this is probably where, you know, the the hammer lawsuit came from, is where they've got, he sneaks up on them, and they start taking pictures of him, and then put him off in the canoe and all that stuff. That's I, I didn't get it. I didn't find I, it. I, even when I was watching it, I'm like, what? Yeah, I don't. I just didn't see the. It it just felt forced. 
And I understand why they did it because when you get to the point later where he knew that was the only. It was a vendetta. Yeah, it, it became was, a vendetta. It didn't well, become like he was doing his job. It was a vendetta. It now. was the only way, though, that they could say yeah. that he knew that CW was with him. Oh, he knew that there was the. Fourth. He knew there was a fifth. Yeah. Cause but the they'd girl, always talked about a fifth in the movie. But, no, but nobody knew what he looked like. Oh, that's true. Nobody, because he was always the driver, or mm. nobody. And in fact, nobody, nobody knew his name except Blanche. Mm. So that was the only way that they could tie them together. I thought that was a very dumb way to tie them together. But you know, I mean, not not every script can be written by Michael Bay. So. <laughs> yeah, right, Michael Bay. Um. Yeah, and I also think it's again just trying to like do a like stick it to the man kind of a deal, right? Yeah, but why would he? Why would he spit on her? I mean, why why would that upset him so bad? Why? I mean, I don't I don't get because that. he was disgusted by her. Well, then he's looking in the wrong things. Because <laughs> well, they were you know that's that's kind of you know what am I trying to say here? Their youth, right? They're, they seem like, like, Clyde seemed like he could read Bonnie like a book, but at the same time, he wasn't, like, he was kind of inept, right? The, the first few robberies are kind of bungled in a way. Bank, um, he, he literally brought the banker of the first bank that they <laughs> robbed, and that, that was a true story. They got a dollar ninety-two from that bank when they robbed it. In oh, real life. really? Yeah. That is um, true. He took her out, and he's and he's like, "Oh, that was Blue from uh, Old School. That right. was another person who was in it." He's like, "Yeah, man, we don't have any money." And he's like, "Okay, come on, you got to come out here and tell my tell my girlfriend or whatever it is." That scene I did not like. I did not like the scene. They robbed the first. Um. They robbed the first place immediately at the beginning of the movie, the the the, the gas station. Mm-hmm. Jumped in the car, stole it, and as they're driving away, she was all over him. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to be based in fact because apparently she was a nympho. Um, he pushes her off, pisses her off, mm-hmm. kicks her out. Mm-hmm. And within 10 seconds, he's like, no, no, wait a minute, now come back. And, and then he's like, I know everything about you. Like, read her like a book. Like, they've been together like, what, 10 minutes? And five of that he spent in the store Robin. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought that was a little presumptuous that it, everything should have happened that fast, that quick, mm-hmm. and then still no one was going on. If that's the case, you need to go to the circus, dude, because you are going to kill it at that guess your weight. Well, I think it was more like he'd seen her type before, right? Because back then, you know, there wasn't a lot for women to do if they didn't have a husband, right? Which in real life, I guess she actually did. She was married, yes. And um, in fact, she had that wedding ring on when she died. Yeah, um, but you know, there was some before Gwyneth Paltrow. There was subconscious uncoupling between them. They didn't really. They kind of parted ways before he went to jail. Before Gwyneth Paltrow. When Gwyneth Paltrow um, divorced, what's his name from Coldplay? Oh, they I, talked about doing conscious up, uncoupling together. I don't, I don't know who Coldplay is. What is this Coldplay of which you speak? A really rotten, crappy band. Never heard of them. <laughs> yes, you have. 
maybe, but I have chosen to block them out of my memory. Yeah, I guess I guess yeah. um was cuz he was kind of a uh uh he murdered someone. That's what he was in. When, he, he was yeah. he, what what's the word I'm looking for? He was a a two-time a, a small-time. He was a small-time crook. Small-time crook. And ended yep. up killing somebody and went to jail, but they never got divorced. Yeah, they right. never got divorced. So, you know, obviously they had to just kind of make her unmarried and at that point, but I think some of it is just, hey, I've seen your type before. This is what you've got, you know, and and basically you're special, but you're nothing special kind of a thing. And it's, it's very not necessarily knowing her, but he knows, he knows how to read people. He knows how to put the charm on and that he definitely knew how to do. But you know, once you get past that, there's the, you can kind of see the boy, right. Who doesn't really know what he's doing. Doesn't really have an overall plan. And the same thing with Bonnie. Bonnie gets very good as far as bluster is concerned, but she's still very immature. How old were they in real life during their crime? She, when they met, she was 19. Okay. He was 21. So they were kids. Yeah. yeah. Well, they were kids by today's standard. Back then, they were probably considered adults. I mean, big-time yeah. adults. So, see, that's where I th- personally, I think that I would have liked to have seen the whole there was an attraction there. Mm-hmm. Give me give me the fact that I see her in a window. You could see the look on his face when he saw her the first time that he va, va, she, boom, yeah, he baby, she was, she's naked. Because he stopped what, he stopped <laughs> what he was doing. He's like, oh, and so then in a normal progression, they're driving down the road. She's trying to get it on. Yeah. And he's like, ah, get off me. I don't like that. Ah. Um, stuff like that. Give me that. Give me that love story, that that sexual attraction that brought them together. And that now drives this Maybe they didn't want that because they wanted you to think that they were fighting for the common good of the people, even though when they robbed the banks, they never gave the money to anybody but themselves. Yeah. Um, so there was really no Robin Hood, even though they were playing the ro- – I, I don't know. I guess I, that that little point just kind of turned me off a little bit there because she was always after him and he was not. Mm-hmm. And it was it's kind of like – it's almost like you're trying to drive that wedge in between them, but you're not allowing yourself to drive the wedge in between right. them. But, uh, um, I guess in real life they were both fairly homely. She was she was four she was foot, cute. She but was she four was, foot ten. Yeah, he was like five foot three, which um, is not a very imposing group to be running through the, no. the countryside beating the you know shooting people. But um, he was still a very good shot. Oh, he was an amazing shot. Um, the other thing that speaks to kind of his immaturity, and this is true in real life, is him cutting off his toes so he can get a work detail yes right and it is true that he did it and then a week later he was up he was paroled so. yes they're not sure if he did it or if he had another inmate do it but yeah. it, it was true he right but that his- is that's like a very immature act right so it's 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 funny you see these guys you know you see them and you see them as adults and you see them obviously very good looking actors you know, and and sexual beings, even though the main turn on between them is the actual act of the crime, yeah. um, you know, and, and it doesn't get consummated until later on, but it's very, um, they're very just playing at this too. And it's, that's, it. it's what makes the performance good, but it also just like, like I said, you just never feel settled in this movie. Like they're not smooth. Like they're not 
they, you know, they're smart, they but they're not. Yeah, they're just. They don't. There's no aim. There's no. There's nothing, and and that's where this film kind of takes you. You're you're just along for the ride with them, and sometimes it's very entertaining. Sometimes it's very cringy. You know, it's it's, but it's you don't want to not be there with them. Right. No, I I, I completely agree. Um. The scene where um uh what's the brother? Not Clyde. Buck. Buck gets killed. Yeah, that's e- pretty accurate. Yeah. Even though he doesn't actually get killed there. No, he uh there was surgery. He was like dying. Yeah, he in surgery. died like three days later from pneumonia or something. Yeah. yeah. Um they uh I guess they had him on the ground and they had shot him multiple times and there was one of the officers had stepped on him was about to shoot him in the head and Blanche was like what are you doing what are you doing he kind of brought him out of his reverie but that whole uh, that whole scene was um, it was kind of it was that whole section from when they run Mm -hmm. from that was when they had the armored car that they right. their quotes blew up, even though they actually didn't. That was a great story, but I, I'm only yeah. supposed to talk about the movie. Um, they uh, that whole after they'd all been injured really bad, right? That whole drive to when they actually get Buck was pretty dark. Yeah, like like and 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 as it should be mm-hmm. in that situation, you're, right? You're running from 167,243 lawmen. Mm-hmm. It was pretty, but well executed. I thought. Yeah, I thought it was too, and and I know that, I mean, I know that they ma- made Estelle Parsons' character of Blanche a little bit more prudish, a little bit more, but there is a quality to Estelle Parsons' acting whenever I've seen it, whether it's been Roseanne, um, whether it's on, uh, she was on uh, Grace, and, uh, Grace and Frankie a couple episodes and stuff like that, but she's... Her voice is tad shrill, right? No, it's not. (laughs) And so her yelling and stuff like that, like to me, the first time I saw this movie, I was like, God damn me, I'm annoyed, right? (laughs) I'm annoyed, but I, I don't, it adds to the chaos in that scene, but it doesn't quite get, It doesn't quite emotionally impact you, or at least me, I think, on Buck's death, right? It's just, it's just noise <laughs> to me. Her screaming? Her screaming, yeah. I can well, see, uh, that's, you know. That's what kind of upset me, though, because yeah. she was she was actually kind of a badass. In, 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 the actu- in real life, yeah. In, in the actual situations, in, in the, sit- in the <sighs> scene where, um, with the... In, uh, was it Lincoln, Missouri, or with a shootout with, with the armored car? Mm-hmm. She actually helped Buck push the car down the road into the other police cars so that they mm-hmm. could get. And she, I mean, that was I don't know if that was Joplin. I know Joplin. She she was screaming. You know, um, it was the next one. It was when they were in this kind of the motel or travel court or whatever. The one where yeah. the police showed up in the middle of the night, and she's like, "The she, men are on the other side." Yeah, she actually helped yeah, push cars you, out. You kind of see this this time around. I kind of noticed her her sh- kind of slow evolution into like starting to like get into this life. 
you know. That's, see, to me, yeah. I think. See, I, I, I look at that and see that that's kind of where they missed it because they had the scene after they robbed the one bank, right? Uh, in the move where he jumps up over the. Remember when Buck ran in? He jumped. Oh, up jumps over up over the. Yeah. yeah, that's a John Dillinger move. Oh, is it? And he stole it from Zora movies. But regardless, <laughs> it's like it's monster, this monster amalgam of all these people they put together. Right, right, and I right. get it because it's Hollywood. I just anyway. Um, and they were dividing up the money. Right. And she leans over to Buck and she says, and he goes, well, what about her cut? And Bonnie gets pissed. Right. right? But if they'd have shown her being productive, she wasn't necessarily stealing Bonnie's limelight. She was helping the gang. Mm-hmm. When in real life, that's what C.W. Moss was for. That's what Buck was for. If you're part of a gang, maybe it's it, maybe it brings you together mm-hmm. more and gives everybody more credence. That right. gives you, um, man, I am struggling with words tonight. Uh, it, you, it gives you a tie to that character. You you're actually rooting for her because in the movie you're kind of like. I hope they leave when when they when they drove off and they left and they they picked oh, her she's, up. Yeah, I'm like I kind of hope I kind of hope they leave her because she was just she was in the way. Yeah, and she was she was that fucking door that's constantly right. opening and closing, but you never oil it, and all right. it does is screech. It just. Oh. But I think it's a good like Buck and Blanche are good foils for Bonnie and Clyde because Buck and Blanche have what Bonnie doesn't. Right, they are affectionate. In love. They're in love. They're yeah. probably getting it on the daily, you know, um, whereas... I mean, what else are you going to do? <laughs> whereas she's in a state of frustration when it comes to... Fair enough. Clyde. It provides the comedic, the com- the yeah. comic relief, too, in those yeah. situations. No, yeah, it, it balances it out, right? So you've see, got... See, I see that as oppressive to women, though. She was pulling her weight, and they're just crapping on the man. But just, and- you slowly see, like, you slowly see her, like... The, the jodfers that she's wearing in the end, like the pants, right? Which, you know, women in pants oh, no, no, back no, no, then. No, no, right? But that's what Blanche really wore. And that's what Blanche really was wearing when they arrested her. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was kind of taking those strides to become more of that badass. Yeah. Even though it was uh, kind of, she still didn't quite click so much with the gang. But it, it you know what's, also, I didn't notice, too, is there's that scene where they send Blanche out to get food. And she rides with C.W. Moss. And they have that moment of connection between them. Right? And he talks about being Presbyterian or whatever it was that he was. First Church of... Oh, First Church of... Warriors of God or uh, warrior, I, ch- ch- Disciples of Christ or something. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, she talks about being a Baptist uh preacher's daughter which she never was but um that moment was nice too like it kind of showed that she was kind of getting accepted by everybody but bonnie yeah Uh, fair enough and even at the end bonnie does take care of her because when she's blinded because yeah apparently what happened in real life is she got some glass shrapnel or something in her eye um and she having trouble in the headlights and she, in the movie and she was blinded. So they, he, she went and grabbed her gl- sunglasses. I think some of that was probably a defensive move because she didn't want her screaming. But it's, but quite, quite the, possibly. But the way it was acted was definitely a, a, had a little bit more tolerance and patience than she's had with Blanche through the whole movie. I got you. So those were nice touches. Um, Warner Brothers didn't want to make this movie. No, they didn't. At all. No, they didn't. Uh, Jack Warner. 
who shortly after this movie was made sold Warner Brothers his shares of Warner Brothers for two hundred million dollars. So that's two hundred million dollars in nineteen sixty six. That's a crap. Two million. That's yeah. a crap ton of money. Uh, Jack Warner told Warren Beatty that he would finance the film if it was filmed in the style of the Warner Brothers '30s and '40s gangster movies. You. Yeah, and when Beatty argued with him, Warner pointed to the water tower that dwarfs the Burbank backlot and told him that it was his name over the studio and his name only. And Warren Beatty walked over to the window and said to Warner, they're my initials. <laughs> Warner relented but hated the final product. That, that's funny. <laughs> that's some great, great thinking on your feet. Wow. Uh, this was the last film until 1972 to have the Warner Brothers shield on it. Okay. Because they sold it to uh, Seven Springs or something was a part, what was a company that he sold his uh, shares to. Mm-hmm. And the shield changed to a W-7. And then in 72, they went back. Uh, I, I did not know that. And that poem that you hear in the movie was actually written by Bonnie. It was written by Bonnie, yes. Um yeah, so when this mo- film came out, um, obviously it was it it is considered um, looking back, it's one of the first films of the New Hollywood era. Um, you know, obviously broke some taboos, um, and for some members of the counterculture, it was considered a rallying cry. Um, so it prompted other filmmakers to be more open about presenting sex and violence in their films. Um, I see its impact a lot on film like when I see this film I mean the obvious comparison you know to the end with the shootout would be the the Sonny Corleone scene in The Godfather where he is riddled with bullets at the toll booth yeah, well, well, okay I, I gotta remember which Corleone we're talking about <laughs> J- James Caan James Caan James freaking Caan James Caan Johnny Caan Jimmy Caan Jimmy Jimmy Caan um, I see a lot of it, um, influenced on, um, and you probably haven't seen this movie, Easy Rider. No. The Graduate. There's a lot of that dreamlike. Wait, yes, I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Go ahead. Um, I, you know, Easy Rider, I don't think I really enjoyed, but I'm glad I saw it. Um, so, you know, there's definitely things. And even in modern day, like, consider, like, Pulp Fiction, you know, when they've got the gun and they're holding up the guy, they, you know, John Travolta accidentally shoots him in the face. Those types of things, like, we watch that kind of movie today, we don't think about it. But this kind of movie kind of opened the door to people like Tarantino making his movies in today. Yes. Right? That influence is there. You can see it. You can kind of... It, has that same feel this is one of the things that it did for hollywood movies uh it was estelle parsons first film mm-hmm. which is amazing because a lot of people's first film wasn't it faye dunaway's first film she had done like theater before that but i don't know i, I don't... don't know if it was faye dunaway's no she had been in some other stuff because she had just done a movie where she had to put on weight okay and she almost lost this role Oh, really? They told her she had to lose 25 pounds. Mm-hmm. So she was wearing weight belts around her waist and her arms, and she would eat a salad every now and then. Uh, and she only took the weights off when she had to take a shower. Uh, um, she was amazed. Estelle Parsons was amazed at the extent of the special effects. Uh, when she and Gene Hackman attempt to escape from the motel room using the mattress, mm-hmm. she had to crank a concealed wheel that sequentially de- uh, detonated the squibs in the mattress. Um 
that's not that doesn't happen in too many movies before that. Right. Um, and the one that really shocked me about this, and you got to give me a second to find it here because I want to read it right, and I probably will not read it right. Um, I'm vamping. <laughs> I'm vamping. Here it is. In a television interview, director Arthur Penn pointed out that this film showed for the first time the firing of a gun and the consequences in one single take. Mm. Before that, you would see a gun being fired, then cut. Then the next clip shows the bleeding body. In this movie, you see a gun being fired into the face of a person without intercut, which was when the banker jumped on the car and and Clyde shot him. This was incredible at the time and would have been censored in the past. Such a shot, however had been already used in all three of the Dollars trilogies. The what trilogies? The Spaghetti Westerns. Okay. Uh, Fistful of Dollars. Mm, okay, Vandals, Dollars. The, I thought you said Dallas. I'm, I'm sorry, like, the, do- the Dollars. So <laughs> it was, it was, so it was the, the three, the Spaghetti Westerns from Italy. Yeah. So basically France, Italy, it, 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 that new wave that coming over there. Right. But when you think about that, and you, and you look at the amount of movies that have made been made since 1967, the amount of movies that were made before 1967... Essentially, this was the first movie made in the United States because the Dollars trilogies were made in Italy. Right. That showed somebody special effects shooting somebody. Right. That's, I mean, Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen with the Expendables if you weren't? (laughs) (laughs) No. Never ending C4. It would be like you watching a tennis match with the 20th greatest tennis players in the world, but instead of just one ball... And there's ten on each side. There's twelve balls, and you're just you're just doing this <laughs> left to right, back and forth as the screen cuts and then change. So that's kind of some balls, mm. kind of some balls. So the reason that the um, the reason that the Undertaker scene made it mm-hmm. was because that did really happen. Yes, it did, and the Undertaker actually was allowed. He performed. To, he was one of the corners that worked on to, Bonnie yeah. and Clyde. Yeah. Um, it actually was, believe it or not, uh, Gene Wilder that was in there doing the autopsy. It was pretty cool. <laughs> um, this was my favorite. Gene Wilder and, being his Gene Wildery best. And you have to... Yeah, and, and there's one more thing I want to read about that, that, for the film that I did not catch that I would like to go back and watch the end again. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to avoid censorship problems, Beatty held off sending a script to the Product Code Administration, which was the industry's self-censorship organization. So it was basically the MPAA before the MPAA existed until just before shooting began. So they had, so apparently they had to approve it before you could even shoot it. Mm-hmm. Even so PCA had Jeffrey Sherlock fought unsuccessfully to remove the intimation that Bonnie was nude in the first scene, the suggestion of oral sex in one bedroom scene and the scene in which a bank teller shot in the face when he jumps on the getaway car's running board. Later Beatty had another fight to convince the head of the national Catholic office of motion pictures the successor to the Legion of Decency. <laughs> that, that, that belongs in a fucking uh, superhero cartoon. The Legion of Decency. That Faye Dunaway was properly covered when she runs downstairs to meet Beatty in the first scene. The official kept insisting that he could see her breasts. <laughs> so they knew right from the get-go that this was going to cause some problems. Oh, yeah. He also had them film the film kind of on the run instead of doing it on the lot they filmed it on location in texas because he didn't want the studio messing with it oh yeah which was fucking brilliant 
mean, that was br- He never would have gotten that movie made if he'd have made it on the lot. It never would have happened. I don't no. think. No, no. This was the one that I didn't realize, and it surprised me. Uh, Dee Dee Allen was the editor of the film, and the climactic massacre was meant to evoke memories of the Zabruder footage. The what? The Zabruder film. Zabruder. JFK. Oh, okay. Uh, as Clyde Barrow goes to ground in slow motion, a fragment of his skull is dislodged by a bullet hit, a similar headshot captured by Zerpruder's fruiter. The Zerpruder's footage of the JFK assassination. I don't know why they would want to make that tie-in, and I don't know that you would catch that tie-in if somebody didn't tell you, but they had... <laughs> They had some crazy shit rigged up on their heads mm-hmm. for the final scene, him and Faye Dunaway. And what it was is it was pieces of skin, mm-hmm. of, of plastic on their face that was had little strings tied to it. And as everything was going down they were getting shot, the special effects artists were supposed to pull the screen and it was supposed to pull the stuff off their face. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, Warren Beatty had a, uh, like a shower plastic cap, like a mm-hmm. skull cap on, and he had the piece of fruit. Mm-hmm. And when he fell, he squeezed the fruit. And that was supposed to be the cue to the special effects person to pull it. And it was supposed to pull the piece of skin off his head. And the special effects person got so caught up watching the shot that they didn't pull the string. <laughs> uh, but they did pull the ones off of Faye Dunaway's face. And they actually had to tie her to the stick shift in the car mm-hmm. to keep her from falling out. For the final Cause scene. she's slumping, yeah. Yeah, because they didn't want her to fall out. They, they couldn't get the shot they wanted without her falling out of the car. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> I've got like five pages of shit here still. Wow. Yeah. I put my time in. You did. You certainly did. Faye Dunaway had to give back twenty five thousand dollars uh, for sixty thousand dollars salary so that she could have her name above title. This woman is oppressive. This movie is oppressive to women, and I want it banned <laughs> right now. I want to um, I want to touch on one more scene. Okay. And that was the family reunion scene. The Gazi family reunion scene. What they, they did they shoot that on the Gaza strip? No, but it was it definitely had that Gazi look to it. It was almost dreamlike. They filmed it through a um storm door. Storm door. Like a screen door they filmed okay. it through it because the yep. director director wanted it. So those actually happened apparently quite a bit. Yes, they actually went on in a circle, mm-hmm. and that's how they tracked them down as to where they were going to be. They, were. they yeah. were convinced their phones were tapped, so they had a code. Mm-hmm. Um, but they met their family quite a bit. The woman who plays her mother mm-hmm. was a school teacher who just happened to be on set watching them shoot, and they're like, "You're the mom." That was a very I, I tough isn't the right word, but that was a very tough scene. To watch and try and put yourself in because we had just gone through the scene where she was like, "I want to see my mama." Mm-hmm. She had ran and Clyde had to track her down in the in the corn grove, mm-hmm. the, the corn field. Mm-hmm. It's not a corn grove. Corn Duh. grove. God, Greg, you're stupid. Um, and she's like, "I want to see my mom." And then that next scene is they got that going on, and they're like, you can tell they all love each other. I mean, you could see that they genuinely were enjoying each other's company. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, she's like, "Yeah, you don't ever need to come back." Well, that's not like, it. It's she just didn't want her to die. No, I know. You but, know, but but basically, she was saying, "Don't come back here because 
they know you're going to come see me. So they right. could have put a tail on her. And it was just, uh, that would be It's funny because you, you've got this scene, right? And it's, it's, again, you know, as you said with the screen door, it looks a lot different than the rest of it. It's, it's got a slower pace. It's much more dreamlike. And it just looks like a regular family reunion. But then it's kind of intercut with these scenes of like C.W. Moss with a gun kind of like on the lookout standing guard and then you know you've got a scene where you know Clyde comes up to relieve him so he can go get something to eat but it's you know what I mean so there's always that danger right Mm -hmm. but it's also kind of this dream like you know for Bonnie this is a life that she can't have anymore right she cannot have a family she cannot have a kids regularly she you know and this is you know you can always the 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 undertaker scene i think they use that to underscore her realization because she slowly has to come to this realization that there is no other way out for her like in the beginning when they originally shoot the banker or the president manager owner whatever in the face yeah they've got that scene afterwards where they're hiding out in the movie theater and both C.W. Moss and Clyde are kind of sweating it out and arguing, right? Um, About how that got bungled and why did that get bungled and stuff like that. She is just watching the movie. She is totally sucked into the movie. She is like a little girl. Just enjoying herself. Right. Or a teenager at the movies. And then you know, you slowly get her realizing that um, the scene with Gene Wilder where she realizes, you know, he says that he's an undertaker and she wants him out of the car. That's, again, intruding the reality on her that she, you don't, girl, you don't have much time. The gut punch is the family reunion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then after that, she writes that poem which is a little bit more of the acceptance, right? We're going to go down together. Yeah. It's and a it's the realization that uh, there's only two things that are going to happen. You're going to go go to jail forever or you're mm-hmm. going to you get killed. Um that was um that was kind of a cool scene where after all that happened and after they had left the theater and they're in the the hotel room and he's like, "Okay, pack your shit. You got to go." What are you talking about? I I, I can get you out of this. Mm-hmm. I can't get me out of this, but I can get you out of this. Like, genuinely at that point showed that he genuinely cared for her. And I think that that's probably true. Mm-hmm. I think that obviously he did or they wouldn't have gone through and done what they did together and, and stayed together. But um, it was the first time that you had seen, in my opinion, the first time in the movie that you had seen that she was more than just a gang member to him. Right. I, I think, personally. So that was pretty solid. The... um that scene where he parallel parks and can't get out. Yeah. That happened to another gangster type guy. They stole that, but it was kind mm. of amalgam. But I always, I'm, uh, I, that scene kind of pissed me off because, <laughs> because he pulls in and parks, lickety split, no problem. Then he goes to get out and he can't get out. Why? <laughs> what What happened? Did the two cars around you, did they move? Panic. <laughs> he panicked. I, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. I guess, right? I mean, something had to have happened there, right? Yeah. So this movie, as we said, was not uh, received well by a lot of the critics, um, but 
our dear friend Roger Ebert, who we like to look up his reviews. Uh-huh. This was his first year as a critic six, for the Sun Times. His first six months, yep. First six months. He gave it four stars. So nothing eating Ebert on this nope. movie. In fact, he said he had only been a film critic for six months when he saw his saw this film and hailed it as the first masterpiece he had seen on the job. Yeah, he said, and this is what he says in the in the review. It is so pit- it is also pitilessly pitilessly cruel, filled with sympathy, nauseating, funny, heartbreaking, and astonishingly beautiful. If it does not seem that those words should be strung together, then perhaps this is because movies don't often reflect the full range of human life. And 30 years later, he added this to his greatest movies list. So I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, a lot of people criticized it because of the violence and the sexuality. And then I think... Um, in fact, I was listening to the Unspooled episode when they talk about Bonnie and Clyde and, and um, Amy talks about the, it was Pauline Kale really, that was like, you know, if you don't like this based on the morality of it, then you're not really looking at this as a movie, right? So I think there were a lot of um, people that might have gotten canned and other people hired to like redo this or like been at uh, maybe realize that they maybe they needed to go back and take a look at this as a movie versus as an assault on you know whatever their sensibilities were it was rated r mm-hmm. and when we put it in and it popped up when we put it in we pressed play and it popped up i looked at you and i said wow rated r i don't know that i'd ever seen a rated r movie from that era mm. what year was rosemary's baby 70 71 it was 70 I want to say 76. 76. There was R movies in 76, mm-hmm. right, for sure. I don't know of was any... 76? Go ahead. I don't know of any rated R I movies. I think it was the 60s. From 1967. 62, 65, 66. Yeah. That was... And on top of that, there was not a single swear word. There was no nudity. There was... Well, I mean, there was... There was nudity. It was just very well covered nudity. Well, I mean, uh, I'm sorry. A, a Nineteen sixty-eight. So Rosemary's baby? Rosemary's baby was a year away from this, and that movie had like a sex scene in it. Uh, it was a rape scene. <laughs> well, the R word. Yeah. yeah, that's why it was rated R because of the R word. The R word. Yeah. So it was just to, to for the people to have seen this. It doesn't surprise me that people saw this and freaked out. Probably the same way that when people saw The Exorcist, they freaked out because it was... It, it was, was something they hadn't seen before. Exactly. It was the first time. Now people look at The Exorcist and go, are we going to watch something scary? Even though The Exorcist still cares the shit out of me. Yeah. But Yeah. Like I said, like if we, I think if you plopped you know, somebody down who had never seen a movie past 1990, they would not consider this film a big deal. Oh, but for sure. this film impacts a lot more than they they probably know. <laughs> I got you. So, anything else? All right. Um, I think that's it. I mean, we covered quite a bit here. Um, when it comes to awards, um, lots of nominations. Had ten, a right? Few wins. You had, let me see, 
filling in the blanks. One, two, three, four. Yes, nine, uh, 10 nominations, two wins for Academy Awards. So um, the winners were Best Actress Supporting Role for Estelle Parsons. In her first role. In her first role. Which is crazy. You know, that usually happens, though, with supporting roles. It's the more surprising performances Somebody that shows you get. up and takes the yeah. Academy by storm. Yeah. Uh, best Cinematography. Um, best Picture. Um, Warren Beatty w- uh, it was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Beatty was nominated for Best Actor. Dunaway for Best Actress. Uh, supporting Actor was Gene Hackman. Um, and C.J. Pollard both got nominated. C- Michael J. Pollard, yes. You're thinking C.W. Moss, so you're. Well, he's an amalgam of like six yeah. different people, so it works out. <laughs> um, Penn got a di- best director nod, um, screenplay writing, um, and costume design. Um, it did win uh, most promising newcomer to leading film role uh, for Faye Dunaway. Um. Oh, okay. Uh, and Arthur Penn was nominated for a BAFTA. Beatty was nominated for a BAFTA, as was Michael J. Pollard. Uh, Golden Globes, um, lots of nominations. I don't think there was any wins. So Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor for Michael J. Pollard. Um, was Promising Newcomer for Michael J. Pollard and Screenplay. And uh, it was even, nom- the soundtrack was, uh, the score was uh, nominated for a Grammy. And the Oscars it won was uh, Best Art Direction, or Best, it was. The best, Oscars was Estelle Best po- Supporting Best actress. Supporting Actress and Best Cinematography. Best Cinematography. So there's a story behind that. Mm-hmm. So Penn had the cinematographer come onto the set, and all they did was argue about how they should shoot the movie. Mm-hmm. And finally, the art director said, peace, I'm out, mm-hmm. and left. And Penn realized a little while later that he had some good ideas and brought him back, and then he won the Oscar for it. <laughs> so maybe maybe listen to your art director. That's why he's your art director. Well, it's funny because we talk about um, you know Penn, Penn being the director. Now, he was obviously the th- third choice based on our, our discussions, right? Because they really wanted to get a French director to come in. Um, and they talked to Truffaut. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was going to do it, you said, but he was going to... Was it Fahrenheit? The, fir- <laughs> the first thing he wanted to do was rewrite the script and shoot it in Japan. He wanted to shoot it in Japan. Mm-hmm. And they told him, no. Yeah. And then he said, okay... And then started working on it and had the opportunity to do Fahrenheit 451, which is his passion project. Right. Uh, I guess Penn had turned it down before Truffaut. Okay. And after they Truffaut left, they went back to Penn and changed a handful of things, like um, making one of Penn's things was he wanted him to be impotent. Beatty was like, ah, fine, yeah, fine, whatever, at this point. Um, well, a lot of Truffaut's... Um, edits on the film as far as storyline suggestions and stuff like that did make it in yes they did do you know who Faye Faye Dunaway's uh, body double was stand in in this movie Mm -mm. all the footage was cut but um, yeah my wife Morgan Fairchild yeah oh really Morgan Fairchild 16 years old what was her name her name was 
It's here in my notes. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm wrong about the Truffaut. Mm-hmm. After Tr- Francis Truffaut's departure from the project, the producers approached Jean-Luc Godard. Godard, yes. Godard wanted to shoot it in New Jersey in the Some winter. Some sources claim Godard didn't trust Hollywood and refused. Other alleged he planned to change Bonnie and Clyde to teenagers and relocate the story to Japan, <laughs> forcing him off the project. So basically what you're saying is yeah. he didn't want the fucking job. 16-year-old Patsy McClinney. The future of Morgan Fairchild, (laughs) who at the time was active in Dallas theater, had her stand-in footage left on the cutting room floor. (laughs) All right. All right. So, um, I guess we can move on to, do you want to do box office? I do. So, I have two different numbers here. Uh, The one number I've seen in two places, the one number I've seen in one. Uh, One number was 50,700,000. Total okay. domestic. And the other movie, the one that I saw twice was seventy million. Um, uh, that's impressive for nineteen sixty-seven mm-hmm. when tickets were probably what thirty cents. 20, no, seri- ser- seriously, forty cents. Um, this is what's crazy. So, uh, Warner Brothers did not want to make this picture at all, and they were convinced it was going to be a flop. But they were also convinced that Warren Beatty was a star. Mm-hmm. So they said, tell you what, we're not going to pay you a lot of money to make this movie. Mm-hmm. We're going to finance the movie. And since we, behind closed doors, know this movie isn't going to make any money, we'll give you 40% of this movie. And it made $70 Whoops. million. Dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, hello, uh, you have made a mistake. Uh, call me again later. Um, and he gave Penn an additional 10%. He got Penn an additional 10% to come shoot it. So of that $70 million, $35 million of it went to Beatty and Penn. Wow. He has made a shitload of money off of this movie. I can imagine. It was Warner Brothers at the time, second highest grossing film ever. Behind My Fair Lady. <laughs> All right. My Fair Lady came out the year before, right? I think it was 66. 66. So. Yes, I've seen it a dozen times. I'm not a big fan of Audrey Hepburn singing. Thank God. I love Audrey Hepburn, but Audrey Hepburn singing, I'm not a oh, fan of. Oh, it's going to be great. That's Ethel Merman, honey. A little bit of both. <laughs> Audrey Hepburn. Oh no, no. Who am I thinking of? Who's You're the one thinking of the... Ethel Merman? No, I'm not thinking of Ethel Merman because I don't know who the fuck Ethel Merman You'll is. You'll be swell. No, You'll the... be great. Who's the woman in the death set? Oh, Catherine Hepburn. Catherine, I'm not the... <laughs> Catherine Hepburn. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah they get confused because of the Hepburns. Yeah. 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 It's the same. It's okay. the same but different. All right. So I guess we have no other choice than to get into our section called I Have Questions. Yes. I Have Questions is our time to talk about anything in the film that we watch that may have taken us out of our suspension of disbelief or maybe, you know, hit us a few days later and we went, huh? So I'm not sure if I have, because it isn't historically accurate. I don't know if I really have any questions other than the fact that why did C. Barrow, W. Barrow park the damn car? I was like, oh, look, a spot. And I know exactly. it's it's probably the humor in this situation, and it caused the tension, and obviously the, the inciting incident that 
makes it so they can't ever go home. But um, yeah, that I, was for a second because when I was watching it, I thought it was like he saw a, a woman that he wanted to kind of talk to, and that's why he pulled the car that way. But then it didn't. Nothing ever happened from that. I other I, than, I think. Uh, and and that was stolen, not stolen. Uh, that was that, that actually happened, but it happened to Dillinger mm-hmm. um, when they were robbing a bank. I think, personally, what he felt was being parked in the middle of the street mm-hmm. because it was as a gang in the movie their first their first job at a bank. He mm-hmm. didn't want to draw attention to himself by just sitting in the middle of the street. Got it. Is what I think because apparently in the thirties. The police stations had cars and six cops in each car, and they were just sitting in the cars right next to the bank, waiting for the bank to be robbed. Oh, okay. I'm, be- I'm being fucking sarcastic mm. because in the in the co- in the scenes, the one we mentioned earlier, where they jump in the car and they drive away and they're trying to get to the Oklahoma state line, mm-hmm. they are barely out of the bank, and here come the cops. <laughs> when it took three weeks just to tell your mom that you were going to be late for dinner. Yeah, I, you know what I mean? Right. Um, I, I don't, I, that was kind of silly. Yeah. But, yeah. um, okay. I, I have a question. Okay. Shit's going down, right? Yep. Cops are here. Yep. Bang, 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 bang. Oh my God. We need to protect ourselves. I know. Grab the mattress. Grab whatever you have, a right? A mattress? Well, what else would they grab? Um, the bed frame? Uh, why would you carry? Why would you carry a mattress that doesn't make you mobile and it's not going to stop a bullet? I don't know. It just because I, that's where you hide the squib. I yes, I know that now. <laughs> but as I'm watching it, I'm watching it. I'm thinking all the fucking shit that you guys can grab in a hotel room to try and get out of there. Right. And you grab a mattress. Those mattresses. This didn't... isn't us behind the mattress. It's not. It's not us. This mat. This mattress is haunted. <laughs> Those mattresses did not look at all comfortable. Oh, you know they weren't. I mean, <laughs> the sleep number system didn't come up for six weeks <laughs> until after this movie. Um, uh, I, I don't. I guess the only other question I have is, they were awful nonchalant to be wanted nationwide, just rolling up into places and buying chicken dinners. Well, that's why they sent Moss and Blanche to go get it because nobody knew who they were, you know. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It wasn't. It just. I mean, I, there was a, a lot of a, there was a lot of um, in. I mean, in the script, uh, things that would get would have given them away, right? Oh yeah. They they check in as three people and they're getting five chicken dinners. Well, also, right? you know, and <laughs> when you watch something, when you watch something like this, it's also you also have to. We also have to remember that when somebody saw something back then, mm-hmm. um, I, like I personally believe, and I need to go back and check this. I, I don't think that there were a whole shitload of telephones everywhere. I don't think there would have been a payphone in the chicken dinner place. Yeah, you know what I mean. So when you the- did. There were a lot of not just historically inaccurate things in terms of Bonnie and Clyde, but just historically inaccurate vehicles. No, that's what I mean. So, uh, so that's... Bonnie's dress was not, you know, she was definitely more dressed for more contemporary, you know. So that, that scene, though, he's like, I see a gun. I'm going to run to the thing and I'm going to call the cops. I don't know that in that day and age, there may have been a phone in town. Right, but there wouldn't have been one at the KFC. Right, is what I'm getting at. So, and why would somebody with a gun 
arouse suspicion back then, Especially I guess. Especially in that day and age. Yeah. Right? yeah no, so I, I don't know. So, th- so th- I don't really have a lot of questions. I just mm-hmm. found it, uh, uh, of all the things that happened in that movie, mm-hmm. that was the only thing that took me out. You grab a mattress. <laughs> so the guns, so, so, so think about it like this. The guns that they were shooting at them at that scene. Right were the same guns that they used to shoot at them when they were in the car. Right. And they literally blew right through that car. So that mattress ain't going to do... It just... Right. That was it. That, that was the only right. one I had. Okay. Yeah, I didn't really have much anyway. So. No, they, I, 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 I think they did a very good job of, of maintaining uh, Greg's world. Okay. All right. Do you want to talk about your top three? Sure. My top three moments. was the credits. And uh, <laughs> my three would be the family reunion. Okay. I, I, Why, what about that? It was Just the way it kind of made me feel like I knew, like to me, being on the run, the worst thing would be about not being seen, able to see my family. So when, the, when right. you, and, and just the other thing about that scene too was it was really quiet. It was. It was just like a, it was a little was reprieve. Like, yeah. It was like you're sitting on the sand dune on, <laughs> yeah. you know, on Myrtle Beach or somewhere and you just hear the wind, but yet you know that here's a family getting together because they care about each other. And right. you're just like in that moment of, uh, number two was Buck's death. Okay. It was kind of, I just think it was well done. Mm-hmm. And, and I also think it was pretty from the moment that he gets shot to them being in that field overnight at the cars and them sneaking up on him. It was just, it was solid. And number one <laughs> was when Gene Hackman's telling the joke to Gene Wilder <laughs> and everybody in the car like, if they'd have been oh. allowed to say fuck in that movie, they'd have told him to shut the fuck up in unison. Wait, how many times have they heard that joke? Exactly. Oh my God, that's hysterical. And it's it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Okay, my favorite scenes, I had a little just little stolen, some of them are stolen moments, some of them are just kind of evolutions over time in this movie. Um, the scene where they're, you know, they meet Buck and Blanche for the first time and they're taking pictures, right? So she's got, she grabs the cigar and she's taking the picture with her holding the gun on the automobile. And um, so there is a picture of the real life Bonnie with a cigar and a gun. They called her a cigar, a cigar. Something mall. Something mall, yeah. Yeah. Cigar smoking gun Tolton mall I'll or find something it. Go like ahead. that. I, I, I right, but they something. have that. But it's that little moment where she takes a picture. She looks all rough and tough, and she takes the cigar out of her mouth, and she just makes that face like, oh that everybody yeah. makes when they pull the cigar. When out of they their pull mouth. the cigar yeah. out of their mouth, and I guess the real life Bonnie actually told some of the lawmen when they pulled her over, or when they when they captured them to tell them, tell them I don't smoke cigars. She was so concerned that people thought because of that picture that she smoked cigars. But um, but I just thought it was funny because it was like, again, her being a girl trying to play out a cool woman, you know, and doing something like that and then just making like a totally girly kind of, you know what I mean? Like a yeah. little girl, whoa, you know, <laughs> after the repercussions of doing that. Um, the scene after they shoot the bank guy and they're hiding out in the movies. Um, there was something that just kind of hit me 
like the next day in thinking about the movie, right? So there, the, um, whew. what was I going to say? The movie that they're watching is the Gold Diggers of, is it 1934? It's something like that. Yeah. yeah um, so they're watching this movie and they're, t- you know, it's got the we're in the money. Um, you know, they're talking about the depression and all that. So it's, it just kind of struck me that, you know, here are these people that are struggling, right? They're really, really struggling, but they still make the priority to spend money on entertainment when they can, right? And so the movie, the movies continued to kind of thrive and flourish back then too. I don't know. It's just something about it. It's like, it's almost like a commentary today. It's like, even when we're in recessions, entertainment seems to do really well because people want that escapism. Well, remember, there's a lot of people, a lot of people back then that still had money. Mm. There was still an upper class. There was still a... But they're not going to movie houses. You know, movie houses were like, I don't know. Who else could afford them? I don't know. But it just kind of... Again, it was just this, 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 this juxtaposition, you know, like we still prioritize spending for things when times are tough. And I don't think that ever changes, you know, even though we probably shouldn't. <laughs> I may be wrong here yeah. and I'll do some research. But even though the Great Depression was the Great Depression, yeah, there was still a lot of people that worked and had jobs. Yeah, um, they were more unemployed than normal. Mm-hmm. But remember, a lot of the Great Depression was derived from fake money disappearing, stocks and stuff like that. Money, right? That, and and so people still had grocery stores, and people still fixed cars, and people still sold cars and worked on houses and stuff like that. So you still had industry. So it wasn't like nobody. Now there were a lot of people that lived in like the hobo packs that were in mm-hmm. this movie. Yeah, the little the, the, the lower class, like the farmers that yeah. couldn't make any money, but there was still industry. I mean, it's not like you know New York and Philadelphia and stuff shut down. I see what you're saying. Yeah, but I also think that there's a mentality in that stage that it's like life is so fucking shitty. I can come up with six bucks to go to the AMC and watch the Spider-Man movie. Some, uh, something. I right. see what you're saying. I agree right. with you, but it's not like nobody went to the movies. Yeah, it isn't. It, but it's just I don't know. It just kind of. I can see why it was like kind of this meta. It was very meta moment for me to what to what to see that scene. Um, Fair enough. And I think the other Uh, other thing I enjoyed more this time around was definitely Blanche's evolution, like from being this prim prissy thing to actually being a little bit more of a cool cucumber when she needed to be. Um, Not always, but you know, being smart enough to to put her hand over Buck's mouth and and try to. You know, but part of me, and I guess this is part of, and then I could have questions: Is that her trying to be a cool customer, or is that her just self-preservation of her and Buck? I think it's probably uh, a little bit of A and a little bit of B. Yeah, because she was not a dummy Mm-mm. by any stretch of the imagination. And oh, you guess that she'd probably be pretty educated. In, in real life, she was not a dummy. She was not a preacher's daughter, but no. she knew she was who, very attractive. Yeah, she was more attractive than Bonnie was. Yeah. Um, and which is probably why they tried to dumb her down in the movie yeah. and everything, which I get. Uh, I think that she was um, smart enough to know how to play the game by reading about what, and maybe they allowed her to have some of that in the movie. Right. Um, so- I, I, I'm, I, I got to add one here because I forgot about it, even though we okay. talked about it. The, the Gene Wilder scene is amazing. 
It really is. It's Gene and Wilder. Not, but it's not just Gene Wilder. Yeah. It's That was the one brief moment that they allowed you to see the Barrow Gang as normal people. Right. Because they were just hanging they were out just in the car. hanging con- out. They had just met two new buddies. It didn't <laughs> matter that they had kidnapped them. But they were they were treating bottom a burger. They were treating the two of them with respect. Yeah, they were not threatening them. They were laughing. Yeah. They were telling jokes about whiskey and milk. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I it was it was really kind of whatever you do, and, don't and, kill that cow. Yeah, and G, the look on Gene Wilder's face, which I forgot about this one, I got to tell you about here. Uh, the look on Gene Wilder's face when he realized that his burger was not well done. Yeah. He's like, no, that you can have it. <laughs> so Michael J. Pollard, because he was new to acting, and he yeah. got the job because Warren Beatty had worked with him in something and brought him in, did not realize that in eating scenes, you're not actually supposed to eat the food <laughs> because the possibility of repeated takes. Um, he ate 12 hamburgers shooting that scene. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you... All right, we're ready to go, yeah. Phil. Ready to go. Here I am. <laughs> I guess my other question that I probably should have had, and I have questions too, is how do you fucking fit that many people in the car <laughs> comfortably? Because like they had like five people in the back seat sitting in each other's laps. Yeah, sitting in each other's laps. That's true. But. Plus, they might have made the set a little bit bigger. But remember, back then, people weren't as big as they are now. I mean, again, that's true. Bonnie was only four foot ten. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. Well, I was, that's Monty Bear size. Actually, I was. And nobody knows what I'm saying when yeah, I say Monty Bear size. Um, that's my daughter. She's five foot tall. She's five foot none. Um, I, I was love thinking you, about. I was thinking about that, actually, because um, I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about, I don't know, uh, lighthouses and stuff like that, and it made me think of um, when we went to see that fort in St. Augustine. And anytime you go to those old historical places and like or old. Um, you know, old preserved ships and stuff like that. The beds are always are like, so, so tiny. Like, like two and a half We would long. be giants to them. Like, that's the one thing that, like, never never ceases to surprise me if you see, like, a time travel movie is, like, why are all the people the same height? Because they weren't back then. They were much smaller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway. No, fair enough. I digress. No, uh, perfect. All right. All right. So, would you watch this movie again? I would. Uh, but I would probably fast forward through a couple parts. All right. Just because I w- I don't uh, I did not I understood it and I appreciated it, but I don't need to see the scene about her stroking his gun again. Oh, but it was highly charged and erotic. Great. I I like that scene. I like that scene when they're first meeting and they're kind of flirting and showing off with each other. It's right. very. It's I I. I enjoyed it. I mean, it's... Maybe not that part. Maybe the part where he's telling her what she is and... Yeah, that the, scene. The, the, and little, then he kind of tells her to, like, take yeah. the little curl out of her hair. That's a little, you know... There's just little pieces where I'd be yeah. like, eh, I don't need that. Um, I would. Uh, mm-hmm. I would watch it again. All right. Cool. Would you recommend this to anybody else? I would. Yeah. I would, I would recommend it if, yeah. if somebody hasn't seen it. I would recommend it based just on the fact that if you... Um, my recommendation reasons would be that if you appreciate movies, mm-hmm. I mean, you're not, I'm not tell, I'm not going to recommend it to like, you know, someone looking for an action movie. I'm going to mm-hmm. recommend it if you like movies that and you haven't seen this, that this is, you yeah. know, this is the foothold of today. Yeah, movies. I think I think that if you watched, like I said, you know, there's so many movies that I can think of just not off the top of my head in seeing that, that it 
you know, there was parts of it, whether it was tone, whether it was the way things were shot, um, whether it was particular scenes that just bring to mind other movies that you've seen that came after. I also think that our country, the way it was back then with the way people thought, I'm not saying it's wrong, it's just the way that people thought. I think that if Bonnie and Clyde were fictional characters, this movie doesn't get made. Hmm. Interesting. We want to make a movie about this man who meets this woman who's 19 years old, and they just run through the country shooting people, killing people, and robbing banks. They'd go, sure, how's it end? Blah, 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 blah. blah. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, they still met hedge coats. They got their come up. It was just very bloody. <laughs> no, no, I know. But what I'm what I'm saying is, is it's just yeah. it was so. I mean, it was rated R. Is what yeah. I'm getting at. It was not a typical movie back then. I don't think that if you have any foundation of truth to say, mm-hmm. well, but this actually happened. I'm not making this shit up. It just doesn't get made. Okay. They already didn't want to make it. So yeah. All right. All right. Cool. All right, so I guess my question for you is, what know. are we watching next? I don't know. You don't know. No, we know. We know what we're going to do next. What are we going to do next? We talked about it. I remember? Okay, we talked about... Our next movie. I was going to say Predator, but that's not right. Our next movie will be Venom. Venom, Venom that's two, it. Venom Let There Be Carnage, and we will have our friends Jacob and Barb on for that one. Okay. All right. And then I get to pick the next movie. You get to pick the yeah. next movie. Yeah, we kind of, I kind of leapfrogged over you. I'm sorry. Just kind of. I haven't picked a movie since 2013. <laughs> That's not true. I know. <laughs> you haven't picked a movie since 2021. That too. <laughs> I'm kind of glad that we decided that because I really don't know what movie I would have picked tonight. Okay. I have an idea, but. That works. Okay. That works. Okay. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, if you want to see this movie um, currently in the time we're at, which is January 2022, um, it is playing on HBO Max. And uh, highly recommend that you do. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, we are probably most active on Instagram at Honey. You should watch this. Um, and I, again, as I sp- said at the beginning of this uh, session, this marathon recording session, um, that you can find us on Letterboxd. Um, you just can uh, go and look at Susan underscore H-Y-S-W-T for Honey, You Should Watch This. And I guess Greg will have one of those set up next yeah, time. Yeah, we'll maybe, try to maybe, get Greg set up too. Maybe somebody will help him um, set that up, or you know, I, maybe. Hold on, let me let me go on the internet here and see if I can uh, find some yeah. in Craigslist. So that can we help can, me set you up know, a, a letterbox. <laughs> oh, look at there! It says uh, they'll set up a letterbox for me. It only costs four roses. What does that mean? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what? You don't, you don't know what roses means when you're selling something on Craigslist? No. <laughs> It's, it's it's prostitution. Okay. So a rose um, is a rose is like right. ten bucks. So but you, can't you say, just threw me off. So I have like no idea. Hey, but my yeah. So this is, is the new improved version of our um, podcast. Hey, somewhere somebody is laughing. I. Uh, all right. So uh, again, so Instagram at Honey Watch This um, Letterbox Susan underscore H Y S W T. What is Greg's um, Letterbox? 
We will get Greg's letterbox worked out. Maybe we'll call it Four Roses. I think we probably Who will. Knows. Um, so all right. Okay. Um, if you want to catch Greg on his other podcast, uh, I will uh, let him take that over. Take it away, babe. Uh, top five for fighting. Top the number five for fighting. We're available exactly where you're listening to this. Me and my buddy Mike talk about anything and everything that strikes our fancy. Every week we do a top five list. This week our top five list is the top five hottest things our wives say to us. Are you for real? No, I made that shit up. Of course I'm for real. Oh, goodness. You know what? I am going to have to listen to that episode. You'll be be very happy. How's that sound? All right. Okay. uh, You know, we, we talk sports. We do talk a lot of movies. We talk a lot of new movies, upcoming movies. Things like that, TV, um, blah blah blah. It just you know, it's uh, we we try to have fun. That's All it. All right. Well, thank you again for listening. If uh, you want to give us some feedback, um, hit us up on our social. And that's it. We if, out. If you want to go to my letterbox and rate movies, <laughs> <laughs> that's four roses at craigslist.com. <laughs> ha- happy Happy New Year, everybody.